So, uh, Father, I want to thank you for the beauty of, of the relationship that you have had from eternity. Father, Son, and Spirit, and the relevance of that in our life. We, as you know, Lord, are, are trying to listen to you and craft our language about the gospel in such a way as to uh, tell the truth about it and to speak truly to the hearts of people. And so I ask that today you would continue to reveal your heart and continue to reveal the connections between your heart and our words in the story of the good news. So I thank you for that. And in particular, I lift to you this beautiful concept that has been captured over the centuries through the, the Greek word perichoresis. And so help us to understand it. And, and more importantly, Lord, help us to see it translate into our own confidence, our own passion for you, and the passion for our telling of the gospel. So thank you, Lord. And I bless you for everybody that's here, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name. All right. So uh, perichoresis in our gospel language. My little subtitle here is it's a revelation of God's reality and our source of security that I feel like we've got to uh, plug into the gospel. It was really a, kind of a neat deal being able to present that in a theology class with a bunch of folks where people were, were, were thinking that way. So uh, let's just kind of see how this is going to go. So I've got, uh, Richard, for your sake, I've got two review slides but they do have multiple points on them. So if you need to go get a cup of coffee or anything, go ahead. It'll take me just a minute to get through. <laughs> All right. So this was something that we settled on last week. Uh, God doesn't exist apart from the dynamic love relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit. No solo God back there that we owe any gospel explanation to. Uh, the idea that, that there's a God behind Jesus, there's a God behind the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who has somehow more authority, ability to pull the shots, that's just false. That's a false God that is being imposed behind or over the top of the revelation of who God is in Jesus and in the Scripture. So that's one point that we want to stick to. And that's an important point because so much of some of the telling of the gospel, if you go back, uh, and I'm sure most of you remember or have seen at some point in your life an image of a chick track where you've got Jesus off on one side acting as a shield, and you've got a faceless God with a gavel and lightning bolts behind. That just isn't true. There, that kind of disconnection between the parties of the, of the Godhead, the persons of the Trinity, is totally not true. And it flows into activity. It flows into motive. It flows into heart motive. So all that God does, especially around redemption, uh, is, is best understood flowing directly from the relationship that exists between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this dynamic love. So that is just an absolute reality there. The third thing that we looked at is coming to know God, not just know about Him, is salvation being given by the Father through Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And one of the places I remember we looked at in Scripture that emphasized that was where Jesus says in John chapter 17, this is eternal life that they would know you, and uh, Father, the only true God, and or Father, this is eternal life, that they would know you, God, or the only true God, and Jesus whom you sent. And so, knowing God is the issue. And so, our gospel, and we, we, in our second review slide, we'll get into that, we started talking about the way we could talk 
that spoke more and promised more about people knowing God than people knowing about God. And we don't want to give people the impression that uh, the, the highest form of discipleship is gleaning a bunch of information about God. And then don't let the chat go by, guy, without getting Tom's uh, information on the push health referral. He's got it on there. And uh, I want you to also know if you click on chat and you go down the bottom right-hand corner of the chat window, there's three little dots, and you can click on that, and it'll give you the option to save chat. What that'll do is it'll save this information to a text window on your computer, and when you're done with Zoom, you can uh, you can then copy that and, and that information. So you don't necessarily have to write it all down right to second. Also, the chat windows get saved on on our Zoom replays. And so if anybody has any information like the stuff Tom just put up or that Dan put up earlier, we can get that to you, no problem. All right, so the fourth point in the review is that the heart behind and the motive for and the reach of the gospel is this love that, that flows from the Trinity toward all of us. And uh, me, what that means is it uh, we have to be sure and not, not let people impress on us any kind of indifference towards us from God or anything along those lines, because there's only one heart in the Trinity, and it's the heart that is manifest in the way the love flows between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that's the heart that, that drove salvation. So that's our first little bit of review. That Our second one is some of the words that came from that. So since that's true, Matter of fact, let me back up just for a second and review the key points there just one quick time. God doesn't exist apart from that love relationship. All he does flows directly from that relationship. Coming to know God, even judgment. I, I heard a statement made uh, recently about judgment that I thought was really good. We have to keep in mind that all of God's judgments are fatherly judgments. All of God's judgments that, that should flow from Jesus, you know, like the judgment seed of the lamb or whatever, they flow from a brotherly perspective towards us, a Savior's perspective. And so uh, coming to know God is, is, is about him, not just about uh, other stuff in the heart and motive there. So now let's look at these next ones. So the first one, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always been working to reveal. That was a phrase that was just a suggestion that we got to last week about something that would be said as a part of an accurate telling of the gospel story. The Father, Son, and Spirit have always been working to reveal. And then we tell them, you know, talk to people about what, what they're working to reveal. The next one is God, your Father, knows you are his own child. I find that to be a really uh, a powerful thing to talk about, that God sees you as his child. And when people even push back against that, I'm not talking so much Christian resistance. I'm just talking about people who feel alone or feel like God's banned them or hurt them or whatever. I, it's just a conversation starter for sure. Father has never thought of you as anything but his child alive in Jesus, another son of his love. Even in recognizing that we're dead in trespasses and sins, what that means in, in most of our theology creates a, an image of separation that is way, way, way bigger than the way God ever thinks about it. He never, he never sees us as separated. I uh, am still touched by what Greg said a few weeks ago 
Uh, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. So what is our primary definer in Jesus' eyes? Are we ones being lost and thought of as lost, or are we ones being sought and thought of as being sought? You were created to know and love God. That is a statement that is in contrast to stuff I've heard from some Reformed uh, theologians who lecture and say it's not appropriate to say that God loves people if you're speaking to a crowd of people you don't know. Uh, it's the assumption that that's just not there. But the fact of the matter is we were created. Every single person you can talk to was created to know and love God. And then the last, I think, point, now we've got two more. Uh, Jesus is right now making the Father's love known to you. Can we say that with confidence? I think so, by the Spirit. The Spirit's been poured out on all flesh. Uh, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit is uh, uh, taking the things that the Father has for us and, and declaring them over us. The Spirit's been poured out on all flesh. He's revealing who Jesus is. So I, I think it's true. And if, if nothing else, it's us sharing his love is a way of saying that we're making his love known. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And we're part of that. That's a big part of this whole uh, perichoresis thing, Ronnie, we're going to get to see is that is that we are participating in the life of God in ways that we don't even really imagine. And then a question that you can ask this in, in this neck of the woods is, can you feel his love reaching out to you? And, you know, some people are not going to be able to. The answer that some of those people have are going to be no. But that's okay. I mean, that's a great way to start the conversation. Well, have you ever considered asking him why you can't hear him, why you can't feel him? So anyway, we're just trying to, to craft the language as we move forward. So now we're going to get into the, the perichoresis thing. So I want to uh, j- just briefly think about adding the concept of perichoresis to our gospel who question. And uh, remember, we talked about the who questions and the what questions. So the, the word meaning, uh, etymological hints for, for perichoresis are mostly found in the verb perichoreo. Perichoreo is used, uh, or a uh, form of that is used in the New Testament. Perichoreus is not. But don't let that, uh, don't let that turn you off or stun, turn you away. Uh, the first part of the word peri is to circle or to circle or surround. The second word of the word Correo has these three thoughts. Let me go to the next page. I think I've got them. Oh, no, they're all on here. Uh, So the first thought of Correo is to encircle, to create or open a space to bring one thing into another. So the idea of that circle creating a space so that you can bring something in is the inclusive aspect. It also is the, the idea of penetrating something, and that's where perichoresis gets the idea and the definition about being penetrated. Uh, The second is to encompass, enclose, or contain, or hold in, and to surround a thing to keep it in a space. The interesting thing about that is, uh, the interesting thing about that is the ability that this word has to make a space for us to be included in God. And the last uh, idea it's kind of the metaphorical idea to comprehend or to grasp a thing or to understand or sense it pro- uh, properly. And that's why I think the perichoresis idea is kind of important uh, as far as the way knowing who God actually is. Now, in my class, 
there was a there's a glossary of all these terms, and here's the definition for perichoresis uh, that they they gave us in class. It's a term relating to the doctrine of the Trinity, often also referred to by the Latin term circum incessio, meaning mutual indwelling of persons without loss of individual identity, as in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or Father, Son, and Spirit. So this idea of mutual indwelling without the loss of individual personality. Uh, the word Trinity speaks primarily of the three-in-oneness of the Christian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I thought that perichoresis spoke primarily of that too, but what I found out as I was studying it more is that perichoresis speaks more of the dynamics of the relationship or the structure of the relationship between that interaction between the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So there's two things to understand about the triune God. One, what that, what that relationship is and how there is a oneness and there's three distinct persons involved in that oneness. And that's a mind bender for sure. It's hard to, to understand that. But then Perichoresis speaks about the nature of the relationship between those guys. I'm going to zoom in on me a little bit here, just a little bit. And so um, now I want to begin to look a little bit at, at the scripture. But before we get into the ones about, about it, this verse in uh, John 8, 37 uses not the word perichoresis or perichoreo, but Jesus uses the word chorea, and it's that second half of the word. And it gives you some idea about the various shades of meaning by the way people translate it. In John 8, 37, it's when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And he says, I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. And the idea has no place is that, that uh, correo. And here's how some other translations translate it. Finds no place, makes no headway, hasn't yet penetrated, isn't room in, or gains no ground. So the very history of the word and the compound parts of it are open to this whole idea of the father and son being in one another, the father, son being in the spirit, penetrating one another. This, of course, is a negative illustration because it's, it's a no uh, thing, but just the, the dynamic in, in the movement. All right, here comes some scripture that makes this relate to the gospel. Oh, no, I forgot one slide. Sorry. So the word isn't found in the New Testament, but the parts of it are, and it did begin to show up eventually as people were seeking out how to describe this relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So just as a little sort of nerd note, it was first uh, recorded as used by the church fathers in the 400s. And then it was popularized and sewn into Christian theology in 750. In 750, there was a saint called uh, uh, John of Damascus, who did this in a paper that he wrote called the Orthodox Christianity. And uh, that was the first time the actual noun was used and recognized as a theological concept and embraced by the church. However, prior to that, based on things Jesus said all the way from the, the writings of the Gospels and everything, it was growing in the minds, and especially the minds of the early church fathers as early as the 300s. So you can tell I wrote this for a theology class. Now, let's look at the scripture. Okay, so the, this is probably one of the primary passages of scripture that the word perichoresis is traced to define, and it's in John 10, 27 through 30. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, 
and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they'll never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of his or out of the father's hand. And then Jesus said, I and the father are one. Now that's a simple, straightforward statement, but it's packed with meaning that's hard to understand. What does one mean? What's the nature of that oneness? Do we doubt that Jesus was telling the truth? The Pharisees did, but I don't think we do. But this is the essence of perichoresis. I and the Father are one. Look at, look at the, the three parts that are there. There's Jesus identifying himself distinctly. There's Jesus referring to the Father distinctly. There's Jesus saying that the Father who is distinct from him and he is distinct from the Father are one. So that's the essence of perichoresis. And that's something that we're, we're not very good at in communicating in the gospel. And I think that's why this is kind of an important topic for us. So what's the nature of the oneness? That's what perichoresis is going to try to answer. And that's what our language needs to answer. Here's John 8, 18 and 19. I am he who testified about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. So now you have this distinction between the Father bearing witness to Jesus and Jesus bearing witness to himself. So they were saying, well, where is your father? And Jesus says, you neither, you know neither me nor my father. And the basis for him saying that is, if you knew me, you would know my father also. So how is it possible that knowing Jesus is knowing the father also, or knowing one of them is knowing both? Again, that's the language that we miss out on, especially think about the concept of, of uh, popular Atonement theories like penal substitutionary atonement, where you have the Father that is at one purpose trying to accomplish one thing. Jesus is interceding, doing another purpose, trying to accomplish a different thing. Sometimes even Jesus' death is viewed as trying to change the heart of the Father. That is totally foreign to this concept of the Father and Jesus working in union and working together. And Perichoresis addresses that one. So here's the next one. John 14, 7 and 9. If you had known me, you would have known my father. Also, from now on, you know him and have seen him. Jesus said, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip, but he who has seen me has seen the father. How is this possible? How is it that looking at Jesus, you can see a God who the scripture says no one has ever seen? How complete is the ability to see the father by looking at Jesus? These are questions that Perichoresis answers. There are also questions that are very vague in the way we talk about the gospel. We make it out a lot of times in the gospel like people are on God's bad side, but Jesus is interceding for them and kind of their advocate or their attorney. It never puts the two in union with one another. It never puts the two at similar purposes. And like I say, reflecting back again on penal substitutionary atonement, you have God being appeased you have uh, God's anger being cast away. There's all kinds of, of separation there and not much union. John 14, 11 through 13 is beginning to draw us in a little bit. And it says, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works. And then Jesus goes on to say, truly, truly, I say, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so the Father may be glorified in the Son. And here's another question. How is the union, or what is the union like, that allows one party in the Godhead, the Father, 
to be glorified in the Son. What does that mean? You can hear and see in this verse, Jesus referring to that inner penetration of their life, even to the the extent of glory being in there. Okay, got a few more scriptures, and then we're going to get into a little bit of a discussion and wrap up. So 14, 16, and then 18 through 20, this is Tim's favorite verse and a lot of other people's. Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. This is the introduction of that perichoretic idea, including more than just the Father and the Son. But we're talking about the Holy Spirit being in that same relationship. And then in 18, he says, Jesus says this, and, and listen close to this. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, he had just said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. But now he's saying, I will come to you. So now we're seeing that interpenetration between Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And if you go back up here, he will give you another helper. The word another there, if you look it up in the Greek, is, I believe, alos, and it means another of the same kind. It's not like a different, it's the same one. And so this combination of 16 and 18 kind of begins to show us that Jesus spoke with the understanding that he and the Father were one and that he and the Spirit were one. But he still maintained the conversation that that kept the, the distinction that way. So 19 is, after a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you will also live. And in that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me. And then here's where we get included in the same perichoretic relationship. So if you remember the first verse we looked at, Jesus said, I'm in my Father and he is in me. But now he is extending the ability that this idea of perichoresis creates, where we can all maintain our identity. In other words, when you and I are in heaven, you are still going to be an independently identified person. You're not going to be swallowed up in nirvana or swallowed up in a pantheistic kind of way. You're going to be known and called by name all your life throughout eternity. You may get a new name, but you're going to still have a name, and you're going to be you. And so this is a to me, it's a precious thing that we're included in in this. So John 15, 26 goes on, and you'll notice most of this is in John. There's a few other scriptures that speak about this stuff. But uh, John is, got, wrote the latest gospel and wrestled the most with this idea of the oneness of Jesus and his Father and our being included in that. So in John 15, 26, talking again about the Holy Spirit, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you. You hear that? All right, let's go back. Just one ver- or one slide. Jesus said in John 16 and 14, 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. But now here in the next one, he says, when the helper comes who I will send. So there you see how Jesus is referring. He's not confused. He's referring to the singularity, the union, the commonality of purpose that's going on in the activities that God is doing in redemption. And that's something we've got to get in our gospel story. We cannot keep telling people that God's got one issue against them, and then Jesus is going to resolve that issue, and it creates all kinds of insecurity and all kinds of schizophrenia in the way we think about God. So uh, whom I will send from the Father, and that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. And we could dig in more. I don't have time to do it tonight, nor do I have the prep work done on it. But this idea of proceeding from the Father, uh, Jesus said, I come from the Father. It's the same concept. 
it again talks about the idea of, remember when I said that the Correo, that second word means that you can create a space that includes people, but you can also create a space that, that binds people together. It's possible to create a space from which something comes. And that's what this is talking about. And then John 16, 7, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him. So again, he is speaking of commonality of purpose, commonality of function between he and the Father. And there's a lot more there that people have argued theologically about for centuries. But whom sent who forth? God did. God the Father, God the Son, sent the, God the Spirit. There's all, it's, it's a, it's, it's, and it's, you know, it's easy to understand why this wasn't explained the first 30 minutes that Jesus was talking about it. This literally took three, four, or 500 years to nail this down as people were trying to understand the idea of Jesus being God and being man. Perichoresis was, was first applied, especially the verb of it, to, to those two natures in Jesus. But uh, it takes time. One of the points that I made in the theology class that people appreciated, and I want to make it to you guys, is that we have a tendency, because of the weird way we live in the United States, and particularly we have a tendency to believe this about theology, that getting the right word creates the meaning. But that's not true ever of language. Words draw meaning from reality. If you describe an elephant, uh, elephant by itself, doesn't give meaning to that big, thick-legged, long-trunk, gray critter that a uh, pachyderm that an elephant is. Words are designed to capture and release and, ca and capture and, and share meaning. And so the higher your concept of reality, the higher the concept of reality you're trying, the more you're going to find people struggling for words down through history to try to get it. So whether that's philo philosophy or theology or or science or whatever else. Like people have had a hard time in science trying to understand dark matter or trying to understand black holes or that type of thing. It's because it's a big concept. None of them are waiting for us to define them to exist. They all already exist. And it's the same with God. God has forever lived in this, this relationship that we've come up with through the course of the first 700 years of the church as the perichoresis or perichoretic relationship. So, uh, Anyway, John 16, 13 through 15. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. So again, you start now seeing the interdependence, the interpenetration of the Holy Spirit. He's not just passing on words from God. It can be that, but he's also speaking as he is in union with the Father, and representing the Father. He will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. And it's easy to think about that as just Jesus having a treasure trove somewhere, a blessing, and the Holy Spirit's task with taking that and giving it to us. But I think there's a lot more connection. And I think we understand there's more about that if we think with perichoresis. So the Holy Spirit, too, is discreet, but in absolutely perfect, complete union with the Father and with the Son. And again, there was a struggle to understand that. Uh, it, it was about uh, four centuries before the whole issue of the divinity of the Holy Spirit was even settled. And there's still people that talk about it today. Uh, we got eight, nine, and 10. Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each in his own home, and to leave me alone. 
and yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. So reflect back again on, on uh, the idea of atonement where the Father is sitting in judgment or somehow judging or pouring out wrath on Jesus, and Jesus is hanging on the cross, and he's in between us and the Father, da-da-da-da-da. This is a debunking of that. Jesus puts it plainly that, that there's nothing like that that went on on the cross. There's no distant, angry God uh, either passively, resi- you know, staying back while Jesus is getting that or, or judging him. I, The Father is with me. Even during activities on earth, the union is manifest. And, and that's why notions of, of redemption and notions of judgment that don't include the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working hand in hand, heart in heart, are just nonsense. We've got to just... We got to set our, our language free from them. All right, now this is Jesus' prayer. We alluded to it last week, but I want to point out a few things. Uh, Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, "Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you." See again the union. You see the interdependence. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. The early church fathers were, were trying to understand this without thinking of it as being one quid pro quo type of activity versus another, because they got the sense that that wasn't what Jesus was talking about or what he was praying about here. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, uh, that to all whom you have given him may have eternal life. This is eternal life. Now, listen to what he says eternal life is. That they may know you, may know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. So let me ask the question. Is it eternal life to know the Father who is God, the only true God? You would think so. Is it eternal life to know Jesus? You would think so. There's a passage over in uh, Matthew 11. I might have it in here. I don't know if I included it at the end. Uh, I don't think I did. But it's where Jesus says, uh, no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom he's willing. It's Matthew 11, like 24, 25 in that neighborhood. So what is eternal life? We need to convey to people, first of all, we need to understand it ourselves, but then we need to convey to people that to know Jesus is to know the Father. To know the Father is to know Jesus. To know the Holy Spirit is to be introduced to and to know Jesus and the Father. And uh, so eternal life is knowing, knowing the Father and the Son that Jesus is, the Son that he sent. Uh, he goes on to say, I have glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work you've given. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had before the world was. Do you see how this relationship of shared glory, this relationship of mutual interpenetration, preceded everything, preceded the worlds. It preceded the redemptive process. This is what we lose when we separate or allow ourselves to think in, in terms of separation. Uh, among the Trinity. This is the value of perichoresis, the concept. And here's our last slide of the scripture part. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine. All things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine. What does that include? How about all things? (laughs) How about everything? That, That the Father possesses all things And Jesus possesses all those same things. And the Holy Spirit is working and disclosing and giving those things. Uh, And I have been glorified in them. 
I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Now, oneness, like I said earlier, is that concept that's talked about about the Trinity, the three in oneness. And it's uh, uh, it's kind of a powerful term. Scripture goes on to talk about husband and wives being one, talks about the people in the body of Christ being one. But we have a very, very weak understanding of oneness because we don't take seriously and wrestle with the concept of oneness between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The more we begin to see them one, and yet still being able to manifest distinction and not violate the oneness in doing so, uh, the more we understand that we can be one with one another, the more we can treat our spouses like we're one or our family like we're one or the other people in the body of Christ is one. And then 20 goes on and says, I don't only ask on behalf of these alone, meaning his disciples, but for those also who believe in me through their word. And so that's everybody that's listening right now. We've all come to believe through their word that they may all be one. And here's the, the nature of oneness. And this is why I've been growing a lot in my sensitivity to, to the fact that I just really can't afford to take sides against people that don't think the way I think in the body. I can't do it. Um, so I just got to leave them in the hands of the Lord, you know, and, and love them and, and hope that they'll do the same for me. But that they may be all one. And here's the standard even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. And uh, so the gospel has to include both the distinction and the oneness in God if we're to tell the whole story. It has to do that. So I want us to edit those phrases a little bit, and then we can take some time and talk about this some. Let's, uh, let's look at this first one. I threw this in. This is just an example. So the original phrase that we carried over from last week was, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always been working to reveal. Well, we could add to that phrase, and, and Jen, if you're able to hear me, this is, uh, this is getting more directly to the actual talk about it, you know, the conversation and, and the words that we use for the gospel. Um, but the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always been working together as one with one purpose to reveal and to begin to emphasize that. Now, we can say this and know it's true and not have to immediately contrast it with false notions of God pouring his wrath out on Jesus or various other separatist purposes where the, uh, Jesus is bearing wrath against the judgment of God or whatever. But just the idea. So I'll keep this slide up for a little while. Uh, as we go through it, but then I want us I want us to see if it's making any sense to anybody. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always been working together as one, with one purpose to reveal whatever, to reveal that He loves you, to reveal that you're a child of God, to reveal that uh, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and uh, you know, to reveal that God wants everybody to repent, uh, stuff like that. So here's the next one. The original phrase was, "God, your Father knows you are His own child." But I, I, I thought, well, we could plug some stuff in there. God, your father knows because of he, your father. Or God, your, your father knows because of what he did in Jesus. I got a little carried away with the explanations in this one, Ronnie, like the other day. But 
God, your father knows because of what he did in Jesus that you're his child. So we can plug in these singularities of purpose, the union. This one was pretty good on its own. Father has never thought of you as anything but his child alive in Jesus, another son of his love. That links the purposes of the Father and the redemptive purposes of Jesus nicely. How about this one? You were created to know and love God. I think that's true. You were created and are being sustained right now by Jesus and in him to know and love God. So that lets people know that there's something going on in their life right now by, by what Jesus is doing that supports what the Father created. Or we could say the Father created you, and Jesus is sustaining you right now so that you can know and love God. A lot of times, I think that part of the good news is telling people things that they don't know or they don't think. And I think one of those things is they don't know that they're made to love God. They feel like that comes down the road someplace after they acknowledge their sin or repent or snot or grovel or something. And then here's another one. Jesus is right now making the Father's love known to you. Can we say that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't care how creepy somebody is. I had a conversation this week with a guy who was adamantly against Jesus. And it was heartbreaking having the conversation. But I was able to squeeze a little statement in uh, that Jesus believes in him, even though he was ranting and raving about not believing in Jesus. I go, well, I go, all I know is that he believes in you. And someday that's going to mean something to you. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I actually edited this. I, I took his out. Uh, but so the question, can you feel his love reaching out to you? Can you feel your father's love reaching out to you from within you by the Holy Spirit? Now, on the off chance that... The scripture is true where it says, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son uh, within you to cry out, Abba, Father. And we ask that question to somebody, and they, they get that witness borne by the spirit. It'd be nice to have framed that in such a way that they understand that that is a gift of their father from the Holy Spirit. So anyway, those were some of the phrases that I was thinking about. And, hey, Larry. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I just thought of something you said, the crying out of Abba Father. Yeah, let me go. Let me back up, Dan. Yeah. So much of what we do or have come from is a separatist and a distance philosophy, which makes so much of this happen. And I realized, even as you say, the spirit cries out Abba Father. Uh, you can take that two ways. One is I'm crying out to get to him, but I don't think that's what he's saying. He's crying out in identity saying, dad, yeah, dad, yeah. you know, in, but in, I think not you can, in recognition, including us in that union, including us in that penetration. Right. As opposed to that notion of, I want to get to yelling, Abba, father, will you come kind of that have mercy on me? Um, it's more of an identity. And that's, that's where we step into the perichoresis. I think so. I, th I think there's two other points of emphasis there that really go with what you're saying, Dan. One is that the whole phrase Abba is different than, than the more formal concept of father or something like that. That is a, that's what a, a kid says to somebody. You don't just say that to a stranger hoping that they're going to warm up to you. You know, <laughs> that's something that you, that's based on what you already feel as a relationship. And if I remember correctly, 
just before that, it says, it qualifies. Why? It says, because you were sons, he sent the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. So there's a recognition in that explanation that the Holy Spirit is uh, is acting because of a relationship that's there already. So I, I've got a, uh, let me see, how many, I, I don't want to keep going a whole bunch here. Let me check something. This is just some of the technical stuff about that. I'm going to stop sharing just for a second and uh, get all you guys back up on screen. So anybody else got anything they want to share on that? Anybody got anything they want to think about or, or say about it? Uh, again, what we're not, I want everybody to understand this. I don't feel like we need to change our gospel language with the purpose of making it sound better or easier for people to hear. That's not at all what we're trying to do. I believe that a lot of dialogue has gotten in our, uh, a lot of dialogue has gotten in our, sorry, I'm trying to get my second face off the screen here. Well, I guess it's not going to go anywhere. All right. A, a, a lot of that, the language that has gotten in our gospel really isn't true. It just fundamentally isn't true about God. Like it, it really isn't true that God's poured his wrath out on Jesus. It's a terrible misrepresentation. You can't find it anywhere in scripture that says that. Uh, it does say back in Isaiah that it pleased him to lay on him the iniquity of us all, but that wasn't God pouring it on. Jesus had made it plain that he's going up to Jerusalem and all that stuff's going to be poured out on him through, through men. So it's not that we're trying to make the gospel more palatable. Please don't think that that's what my goal is in this whole series. What we're trying to do is recapture what the gospel really says, what the Bible really says about that. And so, yeah, I'm open up. Just be sure and unmute. Everybody's muted so far. So yeah, Vicki, go ahead. So I also think that, um, and I think I said this in service one time, but I also think that it's the idea of the gospel being uh, being put on a footing of being relational and not just dialogue or, um, you know, whatever else we, we used to do, you know, which was basically notching our belt or, you know, nicer motivation would be getting everybody out of hell. But really, we forgot that Jesus, if we look at Jesus, all he was doing was being relatable. Yeah. I mean, on so many levels, you know, um, allowing himself to be the fullness of who he was and presenting the fullness of, of fully God, fully man in that relationship in terms of what he was trying to accomplish, which was, you know, the joy that set before him. Yeah you know, pointing out people's destinies and desires and stuff. So I think yeah, the see, that, that runs along with a, that runs along with that John 17 thing. What is eternal life? Eternal life is knowing God and eternal life is knowing Jesus. So knowing is fundamentally a relationship. It's not knowing about somebody. Uh, it, it's not knowing facts about them. It's actually knowing them. It's actually having a relationship and in uh, the terms, the work of redemption, the, I think this is an excellent point you brought up Vic. The work of redemption is a relational work. Uh, the name of God that was revealed in the incarnation of Jesus is the name Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. 
It's a relational name that was revealed in this whole redemptive process. That's good. Anybody else? And you guys could just unmute and jump in. We don't have that big a crowd. Yeah, I'm I'm of exactly the same opinion, Larry, because, you know, the, the thing is that, that, you know, 12 years ago when I started walking in what I'm walking in now, was, you told me it was all about relationship. And and I think I've said before that, that you know, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind or, or whatever, how can you do that when you don't know him? And that's relationship. And that's what I'm, you know, if I've, that's, that's the gospel message. And see, there's a, there's a tragic consequence to not, at least trying to do this. And I run into it as a pastor, but all you guys know it too. There's people who said the prayer. There's people who have given up on, on living a certain way. There's people who have said the prayer. There's people who have done different things. And, and they don't have a sense of relationship with God. They don't have a sense of security. Everything's hinging on how they performed this last week or this last two days or how, you know, uh, whether or not they can overcome that sense of, of I screwed up, you know, and, and that should be the first order of business. Knowing that you're saved is that I'm, I mean, that's the, that's the message of grace, Dan, is that this is an issue that was taken care of in my life before it was presented to me to embrace, but you don't hear many people talking about that. And then the gospel gets reduced down to performance uh, or I, you know, sometimes people even try to craft gospel language and they really are trying to explain, well, yes, there's grace when you're coming to God, but then you can't expect to keep living that way afterwards. And that's just a byproduct of this non-relational thing, you know, Dan, you have something? Uh I just got knocked out of my head. <laughs> I was talking about how grace uh, is is portrayed as active on the way in, but not once you're there. Yeah, I think it's. So I think the definition of sin in most of in the standard theological model is it's stuff that makes God angry. And so we view all sin in terms of offense to God, which, you know, you can find plenty of verses that'll say something about that. And so we become sin focused because we're trying to dance around not offending God, as opposed to God saying, I love you. And sin sucks and it hurts you. So let's not do that because it causes damage to you, whom I love. So I love you, so don't do that. As opposed to I'm really offended and now I have to step away because I'm so offended by that you would be so unholy. And it's related to that same concept of holiness. Holiness is something we come and go in and out of as opposed to it is our fundamental standing in Christ, not because of our behavior. Right. You know, and those all go together. We're either... You know, it's either we're always bouncing in and out. We, we're either making God mad or we're not really holy or we're not this. And it's like, well, if you really believe that, how do you think you're going to get back to God? Yeah. What effort of the flesh are you going to do to bring yourself to God? Yeah. 
Yep. The second half of this lesson, I've still got about another 15 slides that are going to be for next week. But the, the second half about this whole perichoresis idea that works its way into our life is the way the dynamic of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that, that is eternal, right? That relationship, that perichoretic relationship where the Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father, now, they're both loving one another in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's making, making this all happen. Uh, that is the place that a lot of things come from that we don't give credit for. Things like communication and love and honor. Holiness is one of those things. Holiness, most of us have a tendency in Western Christianity to think that there was a day when, so obviously God didn't need a holy list of things when it was just the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? Because they weren't violating it. But once man was made, he had to craft a list or identify the things. These are holy and these are not. And that's how we think about it. So now all of a sudden you've got this transactional measuring stick here called holiness that's outside relationship. And that leads us to what you were talking about, Dan, where we violate that and we've got to fix it. And God's got to, just, you know, blah, 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 blah. What if we had a relational definition of holiness that was how the father and son treated and honored one another, mm -hmm. how they behaved with one another, in one another, perichoretically for all of all of time, all of the all of before time. That's a whole different ballgame. So then when you read a scripture that says, for all have sinned and fallen short, let's say the glory of God in Romans, well, of course. But what's that mean? Does that mean that all have sinned and they don't live? in the glorious way that God lives? Or does it mean that all have sinned, and therefore the glory that Jesus said, I gave you, the glory that God gave me, the Father gave me before the foundation world, I gave it to you so you can be one. Well, that means that we fall on our face instead of standing in that glory. Does that make God angry? Not because we violated him, makes him angry because he wants us to be drawn into that glory and live in that glory, and we're falling short of it. So yeah, it changes the whole complexion of, of, of big terms like the wrath of God and the holiness and all that kind of stuff. So that's a big deal. And perichoresis, really, an understanding of this interchange in God is a, is a, a fantastic way to understand things like love and sin and glory and all these kind of things, because those existed before. The other aspect of that that I'll get into more detail next week is it's hard to really think about how much of what we talk about about the gospel, how much of that we really think in terms of is just being abstract and not real. Right. Like just one day, God, who has the power to do stuff like this for sure, but he just said, I think I'm just going to make up something called glory. No. Glory is something shared that is an innate part of the dynamic of who God is. Love isn't something God made up and then left us to try to define it. It's something that comes from who he is. And who he is is not alone. Who he is is this interpenetration between Father, Son, and Spirit, where there's distinction and where it matters. So one of the phrases I used at the end of the the presentation in the theology class, I go, perichoresis in that relationship is the reason you can go to the, the mall and catch somebody's eye and have a, 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 a brief conversation with them, and it'd be meaningful in eternity. Mm -hmm. 
because there have been eye-catching conversations going on since before creation and time between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's what gives a meaning, not just that someday God decided, it'd be nice if those little dirt creatures I made would talk to one another, so I'm going to create communication. No, it's not like that. Anybody else? I um, wonder if there's a little chicken and egg uh, situation going on uh, as a recovering legalist, is what I call myself many times. I, I feel like I've spent most of my life not knowing how to even relate to myself. So to think about how to relate to God is even scarier because I don't have good understanding of even how to have a relationship with myself. And so the chicken and egg part is, is it, you know, is it easier to have a relationship with God or is it easier to have a relationship with myself? I don't know. I don't really care, but that does help me understand like when I'm not paying attention to whatever's going on in my heart or my mind in any given situation, I've, I've taken myself away from myself somehow. I've separated myself from what's really what I really do think about something for whatever reason I'm overwhelmed or the people around me have a different opinion. So I'm trying to understand them, whatever. And I think there's a connection there too with the Lord. Like when we don't, when we, um, I distance my distance myself from him when I get distracted with whatever's going on here, you know, in the, the periphery or whatever you you know want to say it's hard to stay in mindful about what he really thinks or what i really think in any given situation and i think mm-hmm. that is the point of him talking so much about belief because i'm trying to figure something out on my own over here which i think really that is what sin is sin is disbelief rather than staying connected to him or staying connected to what i really know is true one of the one of the conversations that goes on a lot about in this theology class I'm in is about the nature of sin, and and getting a better definition of what it is. And think how important getting an accurate definition of sin is to the gospel, because there's so much baggage associated with the idea of sin and being a sinner and all this kind of stuff. But one of the things, a question you can ask, and then the the relational answer to it begins to make some sense is, well, who knows me better? Who knows Becky better? Becky. Or the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Well, the Father, Son, and Spirit, you have to, I mean, you don't even have to believe in God much to, to go, if God would to exist, he would know you more than you know yourself. Mm-hmm. And so then the whole relational answer to that, uh, the way Baxter Kruger puts it, is he said, Jesus calls us constantly to step up and agree with him, deny what we think, and agree with him about who the Father is, about who our neighbor is, and about who we are. And to me, that finds really solid scripture reference uh, evidence backing it up there in in, uh, 1 John chapter 3, where it says, Beloved, it does not yet appear what we should be. But when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him as he is. In other words, he becomes the key to you being reintegrated and knowing who you are. And I think one of I the places. Hey, go ahead, Dan. Just a second. I was going to say one of the places where we can go too far in the wrong direction is sometimes we think I'll only be myself. You know, it goes back to that when I'm fully uh, disappeared in God, 
that's my true. And it's like, no, the perichoresis is I have an identity and it's fully seen in that dance. Yeah. It's fully activated, but I'm still distinct yet in that the dance of perichoresis. Right, right. So part of me. Hang on, Ronnie. Hang on, Ronnie. Okay. Uh, Nancy. Yeah. I think that what's happening as we're stepping into the age of the kingdom is this is becoming a universal elevation of human consciousness. And what it has to do, actually, I because I have opportunities to be on online every day with people all over the world, I'm seeing this is um, what you're describing through perichoresis is something that I've now come to call uh, quantum entanglement. And the quantum entanglement means that we become so entangled with one another that we are all one with one another. So in the answer to Jesus' prayer in John 17, Father, I would that they would be one as you and I are one, me in you, you in me, that they may be made perfect. And the same glory that you gave me, I will give them. And one of the things that that I feel like uh, the principle of duality, which all of us have been subject to in the past, is seeing God as someone way out there, rather than recognizing him as being quantumly entangled with everything that we do. Mm-hmm. Therefore, mm-hmm. when we when we even entertain the idea of sin, we're actually denying Jesus' words because he says, when you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord. He imparts to us his righteousness. That means we're already perfect. We're already not when, when I talk about when I talk about becoming the perfection of God or becoming the love of God uh, in the age of the church. Love was very, a very elusive um, type of a thing. We could give love or we could do love. But in the age of the kingdom, that's insufficient. We must become love because that's what he is. And once we are engrafted into the multi-level, multi-dimensional, fiery furnace of the heart of the love of God, and we begin to see ourselves from that perspective, it's no longer possible to call anyone else common or unclean Mm -hmm. because we've actually experienced the limitlessness of his love. Therefore, we are enabled and empowered by him to give limitless love to others and not just to give that love, but to be the frequency of the love that is in his heart. So one of the things for 2022, which is a word that the Lord gave me on January 6th, is that the Lord is beginning to heal or release us in the operation or the function of the corporate pineal gland of the Melchizedek order so that we could come into higher levels of functionality. And part of that release that's going to come is us beginning to realize that his love is without measure, that there's no height, no depth, no, that, that's why the word says neither life, nor death, nor powers, nor principalities, nor things present or future, nor height, nor depth, nor any other thing can separate us from the love that is ours in him. 
So as we begin to come into this principle of quantum entanglement uh, and become one with him and one in body, spirit, mind, and level of functionality, there will be absolutely nothing that is impossible to us. And actually, I have hundreds now of testimonies where that quantum entanglement actually produces divine healing, release from mental stress, all of those kinds of things. So I believe that the Lord is bringing us into a higher level of understanding what it means to be quantumly entangled with him so that we can't tell the difference between where we're operating and where he's operating because we become so one, which is answering the prayer of Jesus. Father, I would that they would be one as we are one, me in you, you in me. So the primary word there is in. And when we recognize that what that that when we function in a unity of spirit, a singleness of mind, a oneness of purpose with him, there is absolutely positively nothing impossible to us. Amen. So 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 I have many, many different testimonies about how that is beginning to function. And I think that in February, we're going to begin to see the Lord release that understanding of unity of the spirit that brings brings us into total, complete, absolute oneness with him. And not only with him, but with, with other people. Yeah. And when that happens, then everything becomes possible. Absolutely. I think it's, it's uh, you know, we're not used to thinking in those terms because there's so much physically visible manifest evidence of our differences, our separation, our uniqueness. But uh, uh, there's, there's no question about it. I love the, uh, the idea of the quantum entanglement. Is a, it's a scientific reality that's easy for some and hard for some to, to apply to life and spiritual things and emotional things. But uh, I love the scene in the shack where... Uh, where Mac was kind of taken back because Papa had a scar on his wrist. I do too. That's awesome. Where, where Jesus was. And there's ways to begin to think into this a little bit. And I, I personally think like uh, the reason John 14, 20 is such a powerful scripture is it sets a context that I find most people have a hard time blowing off or, or not believing if you immediately start talking about the oneness of the people in the body of Christ or that our entanglement or something like that, a lot of times people are struggling. It's going to take the Holy Spirit to help them open those ideas and testimonies and teaching like yours and stuff. But John 14, 20 says something all in one breath by Jesus that makes it easy to start thinking in these terms. Uh, in that day, you will know I am in my father. And most everybody goes, yeah, I can believe that. They're, even if they don't understand the concept, they, they know that there's a union between Jesus and his father. There's a good purpose there. And that's why we have to emphasize that. And we talk about the gospel, not the an idea of separation or those kind of things. But I'm in my father. You're in me and I'm in you. And I, I tell people all the time, he didn't even have to take a second breath to say that. Why are we making one of those things believable and the other seem impossible? We're the ones that need. And that's, Becky, where it kind of goes with what Kruger says. So I'm telling you to step up and and take sides against your own perception with me about this union, about 
you know, our entire, about our togetherness, about our union, our oneness. That's cool, Nancy. I know a lot of good stuff is going on in your network. It's awesome. 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 Cool. Awesome. Hey, Ronnie. Oh, sorry. Didn't mean to cut you off. Just trying to manage your bike. Anybody else got anything? Yeah. <clears throat> Hi, Janet. Uh, hey. So this is beautiful as always. The truth is just so uh, freeing. <laughs> and as y'all are talking, I was listening to Nancy and I'll, this may be semantics, but she used the word become uh, quite often. And I think the thing that's healing my heart is I am. My yeah. mind is becoming, my mind is getting there, but I already am. I already am the fullness of God dwelling in me. I already am love. I already am one with God. And as y'all are talking, I'm thinking we we need to, we get to, not need, we, we get to ponder the idea of putting the gospel in words that a five-year-old could understand. Mm -hmm. And and if if eternal life is knowing God, then then is the gospel just a simple um introduction to know him, like an introduction to come. And then we we and remember we're alienated from God where in our mind. Mm -hmm. And and uh, Alan was talking earlier about taking every thought captive, you know. And, and Jesus did. I mean, and that's who he is in us. I think that sometimes I think there's a separate me that fix, needs to fix another separate me to think right or to love right or whatever, instead of coming back to I am. I am, I am what Nancy was saying. I am able or I am empowered or who I am is limitless. And, and so I know y'all know I go all over the place, but um, to be introduced to God himself as love and to be invited to be reconciled to someone, you know, if I was going to introduce you to someone, Larry, I've never met you in person, but I know things about you already that I could introduce you to someone to help them start to get to know you. Obviously, when when you introduce someone like we would be introducing God, they've got to develop their own relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, and Vicki could probably tell um, people more about you than anybody who lives on earth, but but that still wouldn't be, and even if Vicki talked to me all day about you and I learned to appreciate your character and your heart and how she sees it, I still wouldn't have my relationship with you. Mm -hmm. and, and so getting introducing like here <laughs> be reconciled to God like come to him and, and and get to and and get to know him and know who you are in that language of a simple relationship I love that you've been emphasizing that the, the, the simple just getting to know and relaxing like my mind may be going all, oh, I don't understand this. I don't know what quantum is. I, I, you know, if I can only do better at this or that, it's like, no, peace, be still. His rest is mine. He loves me. He is fathering me. I think you referenced that in your slides, you know, that he's, he's continuously 
supporting and in, in encouraging and we get we get to trust him that he we are his sheep so we do hear his voice i think in the church the way i grew up you had to work to hear god's voice you had to figure it out you know you had to seek god's will and you didn't want to miss it because then it would be permissive will <laughs> you know it wouldn't be the best will and all that kind of stuff yeah but Knowing who we are and knowing who he is and that introduction and that, that scripture that says this is eternal life to get to know him. Well, what do you know? We are living eternal life now. I was thinking about that today. The steps I take here are his eternal, an eternal love relationship with him. And there's going to be a transition day where things look different than what I see with these eyes right now. Yeah. But it's it's going to be another step in the another journey. journey. Yeah. Yes. Of, step of the journey. Discovering who I am and discovering who he, he is. Um, it's so, I mean, little children. Okay, so I know I'm not going around, but I've been watching this show every once in a while, just kind of, you know, it's a, an old series. And all these people are, you know, like sailors on the ship or whatever. And and one of the things that I've noticed in every show, they they love to know about each other's relationships. You know, it's kind of a gossipy thing or whatever. And and I thought, you know, God, you put it in our hearts to to giggle about one another's relationships, to love romance, to want to know, oh, you know, who are you dating now, or how's your marriage going, or. Uh, did y'all have a great weekend together? I mean, we don't, we don't, but we love it. it. It's, it's like in our fiber. This show has nothing to do with God, nothing to do with Christianity. And it, and that relationship, that love of relationship is showing all through it. <laughs> yep. And, and that's what we can, and that man that was cursing at you about Jesus, his heart is crying out for oh, a relationship. And, yeah. and so I don't, Hopefully, y'all can get some good out of all that random. <laughs> well, you know, the thing that I love about it is, is, and this is something that that I want us to keep in the front of our mind about why we're even looking at this idea of, are we using the best words to tell the gospel? What are we trying to do when we tell the gospel? Aren't we trying to introduce people to a reality? Aren't we trying to encourage them that that there's more going on in the heart of God toward them than they know? Uh, you know, and we all have varying degrees of what, how we understand that and whatever, but, but it's a relational connection that we're trying to make. And, and, and the other thing that this does is it, I think if we keep the relational part of this front and center in our minds, then we realize that, that it's not that we're trying to get the person to some predetermined destination. We don't want them to believe if you believe these four things, you can fellowship with us. If you only believe three of them, you got to go over to the church next door. No, it's not like that. We're trying to get people to be in relationship with the God that we are in relationship with. And then Katie barred the door as to what could be the, the, the fellowship, you know, it's just, yeah, we're yeah. introducing people to a relational reality that, that they need us to be aware of. And so our first, our first step in the right direction is being aware of it ourselves. And also, even if it's complicated and no matter how, I mean, we're all going to see a different aspect of it. We're all going to start from a different place, but the answer is going to begin in the dynamics of the relationship between God 
And Becky, that's why I liked your question about how much of the gospel leaves people that, now let me put it another way. How often do we purportedly share the gospel that leaves people just with another even more difficult challenge to try to whip themselves up into a, a person that they don't recognize, they don't know, and they have no idea how to do? It should be the opposite of that. You know, Jesus said, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and he said that right after he said, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and the one to whom he's willing to reveal him. So there's the criteria that the gospel should open up. All you got to be for this message to be for you is weary and burdened, heavy laden. And maybe the only thing that you're going to recognize out of that relationship is that Jesus says, my yoke is easy. So all of a sudden, you, you know, you're, you're used to living with 150 pounds on your shoulders. And we introduce them to Jesus in the next second. They feel like they're only carrying 75. It's a relational reality that we're trying to introduce people to. And that's why it's worth, I think, fighting, fighting for the language to be that way. So I want to go back and just, I'm going to share just for one more moment, share my screen for a sec. And uh, I think I'm going to try anyway. But the same concept, absolutely. Uh, as the love boat. All right, where am I at? Uh, how come I can't see this? Hold it. Well, Larry, while you're looking, I was just going to, as you're talking, I'm thinking, we have not presented the gospel as an invitation to safety and security and rest. Yes. We presented it as like y'all talk about the uh, transactional, another job to do, another duty, another burden <clears throat> to carry instead of you can come and truly rest. You can find rest for your soul and, and let God heal it, you know, just draw near to him and he will draw near to you. I mean, so simple and we just totally missed it. Yeah, yeah. And I think we're moving in the right direction. And I think we're going to get there in our language if we keep going. It's not going to all be, you know, technical stuff. I, the perichoresis thing is a little bit on the technical side, but it's because it's the central relationship from which all creation in the cosmos comes. It's the central relationship that defines what it means to love one another, to talk, to communicate, to entangle. It doesn't matter how sophisticated the concept is we're going after what it comes from there. So let me just share this real quick one more time. Just power through these. Do any of these phrases, I mean, do, does this concept of including the, the love relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and making it contemporary to our talking about that and talking about the gospel, do any of these phrases, and I'm not trying to sell them just as one, but the concept behind them, does it help anybody uh, understand what we're pursuing when we're pursuing better language about the gospel. Any of these examples stir anything in you? And you'll just have to unmute and speak up because uh, when we're shared like this, not everybody will see everybody. Jen, this was your original question. I was kind of uh, looking just to see if any of this is, is moving in the right direction relative to that first question. So I'm not trying to put you on the spot. Dan's ready to share something. But if you got any thoughts, Jen, I'd, I'd love to hear them. Dan, go ahead. Or Becky. It's Becky. That's oh, me cool. 
I love the first one, that God has always been working and will continue to reveal himself to people. That seems uh, to be a pretty open-ended invitation, you know, in many arenas. If somebody feels like God has revealed himself, I, I have a friend who loves to think of God as judgmental because that means in the end, everything's going to be that's wrong. is going to be set right. So her perspective is I want God to be a heavy handed judge. There's a lot going on in that life and the things that she's lived with, but I can say, so how has God revealed himself to you? Where do you find, uh, you know, the safety? She's not going to, she's not going to word it safety and all of that. She wants God to be this for her because of the life that she's had. So God is revealing himself that way to her. But that that seems a language that you can open up a conversation. How it has does, God yeah. revealed himself to you? Yeah. And keep in mind that the, the, the nature of conversation, even gospel conversation, is relational. That's what you pointed out, Vicki. That we we at the very least we want the gospel to invite somebody into something, into a relationship, into a conversation, into some contemplation, into some transformation, repentance, some change, something. Yeah. Hey, Larry. Yes, sir. Right. Um, one thing that's not there. I know it's there in many different variations, but just saying God's love for you is really big, mm-hmm. or God loves you. And all versions of God, Holy Spirit, Jesus, the Father. Versions of God. All the people in the Trinity, all the persons in the Trinity. God, God. It's challenging language. That's why perichoresis took 700 years to get nailed down. The one that I like is God, your father knows you are his own child. Whether you think you are or you aren't, you are. And that will make a conversation for sure. And I just, I just love that to be able to say to somebody like, Hey, God, your father, he knows you are his own child. And then just go from there in the conversation and see what happens because yeah, it's truth. You know, I I feel like that's what, I feel like that's what Larry did when he was, this guy was coming against him about Jesus. You may have given up on him, but he believes in you. Mm-hmm. And and really, that is that statement in another form. God, your mm-hmm. father knows you're his own, own child, because we when we think we've given up on him, he never gives up on us. So I love that. That's yeah, very true. You know, the other thing that I, I, I want us to keep in mind is words do mean things. And there is a sense in which we can say some things in an effort to try to get somebody to know God, or we could say stuff about the gospel, that the Holy Spirit can't, cannot say amen to, if they're not true. And we can say some things that may even seem awkward or unbelievable, like uh, fathers never thought of you as anything but his child. There's a lot of people who would argue crazy that way, but the one person who won't argue against that is the Holy Spirit. And so as long as we keep thinking relationally and keep speaking biblically as far as the truth goes, and I know that everybody thinks that they're speaking biblically when they talk about the gospel. That's why I went through some of those scriptures about what does it actually mean? How deep is this union when Jesus says, I and the Father are one? 
if the next thing out of your mouth is some description of how the father turned his back on his son because of the sin that he was taking on our half, well, then you're, you're, you know, that needs to be challenged in our, in our gospel talking. Larry, one of the things that's important to me or I've seen is learning patience with people because, you know, we often think I got to just tell them all this stuff and hurry up and convince them. And, you know, you talk about 700 years here to get this worked out, but even the disciples who walked with Jesus for three years, it took them 15 years to figure out that you didn't have to be a Jew to become a Christian. Yeah. 15 years. Yeah. A lot of people don't understand the timeline in the book of Acts. That's absolutely correct. You know, and that blows my mind that for 15 years, they assumed Christianity was Judaism and Gentiles just converted to Judaism. And they finally, after 15 years, figured out, oh, Jesus is Jesus. He's not necessarily Judaism. <laughs> so tagging on to that, that means we need potentially to have longer relationships with people. Yeah. And let our love God's love work in us and through us. You know, or the, at the very least, Ronnie, I mean, I agree with you 100%, but at the very least, we, we need to not present the gospel in such a way that that it appears like a do or die response right now. In other words, right. I, I've got five minutes to share this good news with you, and if you don't respond in five minutes, that's all that God wants me to give you. Or we can we be satisfied to- with planting and let someone else water. As it could be says. that, yeah, but I, I that was kind of the situation with that uh, young man that I was dealing with. Uh, I he doesn't he keeps trying to cut the relationship off. I keep refusing to do my part in cutting it off. Not that I'm not tempted to sometimes because it's irritating as I'll get outs, but uh, yeah, that's that's a good point. Is is we need to say this in a way that leaves the door open. Jen, I saw you unmuted. Yeah. um, I just putting myself in a position of a conversation, and I just think simple is the best for me. Um, So while this is a powerful integration that that you've added, Uh I think for someone who doesn't have any language, or background, it's not going to have a lot of meaning. So to me, I, I just love more the more simplicity, um, probably more along the lines without the added edits. Mm-hmm. Um, just just for that sake, you know, your father knows you are his own child. Or I love what what you what Nancy said too that you said to that man that that Jesus believes in you, those kind of just, those are powerful, stimulating statements that invoke a response. Mm-hmm. I, I, I guarantee you he's thinking about that. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm sure he is. I'm sure he is. And that, that, that's, that's good. Now I will say this, and, and I, would, I would commend you to this. Simplicity, uh, let's see here. This will sound like I'm trying to wax a little eloquent. Simplicity is the byproduct of reality. And so in one sense, the simplest relationship that exists in the cosmos is the real one that exists between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
And so just because it's the most profound and the deepest doesn't mean that that you can't craft that, that descriptions of that or words can't uh, can't flow that are simple. Uh, even just like non-words, like like that illustration in the movie The Shack, where Papa had a scar in his wrist, the same place Jesus did, and the Holy Spirit did. There's there's there is a simplicity. Uh, there is a simplicity to the relationship and the love between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that somehow we can find words for. I agree with you. I, we we can. We hey, Larry, can. Hey, Larry, your words perichoresis is really nice for you to get this all out here, but it means nothing to me in a sense, but everything that has come from it means a lot to me. So if yeah, I'm having, exactly. if I'm having a conversation with somebody and a concept comes up, that's pitting the father against the son, I can bring that around to the relationship that those two have with each other with the mm -hmm. concept of perichoresis being behind, but I don't need to visibly, no, say, we don't need to add. To say yeah, that. Absolutely, I would. I would say this totally. We don't need to add perichoresis to our gospel presentation. Yeah, as a I would. Word. I wouldn't want to say that to them, and then you're on off to some other. What the heck is that? And where'd you get that from? Absolutely. So, but, but the concept. I mean, the that's concepts. the same way. It's pretty hard to lead a, a, a kind. I mean, in the right setting, you know, this stuff will happen. But it's kind of hard to lead a conversation with quantum entanglement, or it's kind of hard to lead it with. Being, you know, with the substitutionary atonement or uh, all those sorts of things, we, we're, we're needing to have conversation with people. Uh, but it does help, like, I, I appreciate the way you put it, Ronnie, that having a word, because you know what the alternative was to perichoresis is about 50 words. Yeah. You have to tell the whole story all the time. So that's why it becomes like shorthand in a theology, uh, you know, class. But sure. you're right. The, the, but conceptually, the, as long as we're aware that the three aspects of God are, are not against each other. They are fully with each other. One mind and one purpose. Yeah. That's the thing yeah. that matters to me. And and that, okay. So here's an example of where, where something could evolve into a simple statement that's rooted in the complexity of that. We could tell somebody, Jen, that God only has one purpose for your life. And that is that you know the love of the Father. That's the only purpose that that exist in the cosmos, in the heart of God for you. All the other stuff is secondary. But the one thing that all of, of the Godhead is working on all the time is, is for you to know that you're loved by the Father. And, and that's backed up by all kinds of theological reality and complexity. But yeah, yeah the simple language works and, and something like that. There's, and what I, I find... Oh, it, go ahead. It goes even it goes even above and beyond that in terms of simplicity. I've been to over 130 nations, and no matter what kind of culture that I'm presented with, I find that the number one need of every human being, no matter what their religious background, their spiritual background is, is their need to be loved. Yeah. The second is their need to give love, and the third is their need to know that they have a purpose above and beyond going to a job every day to make a paycheck, to pay all their bills. So the issue is everything comes back to the word love. 
we can we can understand we can tap into the mysterion we can you know transmutate we can transdimensionalize we can do all of those things but if they're not done in the spirit of love they're inconsequential and they don't produce any fruit for eternity at all so to me the simplicity of the gospel comes down to that one word so when you when you larry are teaching there are only four nouns that describe god one is God is light, God is spirit, God is fire, and God is love. Therefore, if we can emanate that kind of love, uh, no matter what kind of antichrist-spirited person we run into, they cannot resist it because it carries with it the frequency of the heartbeat of the Father. So I've been to some of the worst hell holes in the world. And the, the thing that I find that brings transformation amongst those people is not so much what we say with our words as the love of God that emanates from our heart, because it sets up a what's called the frequency of heaven, which their spirit begins to vibrate in connection with, because it's a sound they heard before they ever came here. Yep. And that is the sound of the love of the heart of the father. So it, what that does is it dismantles all the objections that are in their soulish realm because they can't escape the fact that the one internal desire that they came to this earth with, with was the, the desire to experience love. Amen. So everything comes down to the love issue, even our unity of spirit, our singleness of mind, us being in him, him being in us. Because as he expresses himself out of us, and I honestly believe we're coming to a day right now when we can say in perfect agreement with Jesus, those who see me see the Father. Because we're coming out of the duality, all of the things that we've been, uh, our minds have been subject to, to recognize that we are the perfect reflection of his glory. I love what Janet said when she said, uh, I am what I am, because the truth is we are just now really becoming what we've always been since the very beginning. It's just been hidden. That's why the word says your eye has not yet seen, your ear has not yet heard, neither has it entered into your mind the great things I have planned for you, for it has not yet been revealed what you shall be. That's what we're becoming at this present moment is the thing that we were always created to be since the very beginning, which is one with his spirit. So anyway, mm -hmm. I love the fact that we can have this conversation. I'm yeah, going to have to go because I got a, another Zoom meeting in five minutes with Indonesia. So okay, cool. I love you guys very much. And thanks for such an awesome, good lesson. I noticed that. Did you call the whole thing off tonight, or why are there only four of you or five of you? Yeah, that? yeah, we we uh, didn't want people driving in the bad weather. Yeah, well, I was downtown and I got the message from home. We have six inches already, and the roads are really, really bad. And I thought, well, I could try and wait till eight thirty or nine o'clock to get home, but I think that probably better not. No, no, so, not that really. Anyway, I love you guys. Have a great night. I'm sorry I have to leave for this next <laughs> Zoom meeting, but no, no worries, thanks, Larry, for inspiring us all and keeping us, bringing us all back on on track with where the Father's leading us at this hour. I love, yeah. I love it all.
Amen. Have a good night. And I will right. hopefully. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Nancy. Week. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. Bye. Larry, the, Larry, the uh, illustration that you gave uh, that really brought a, brought the relationship between the Trinity for me was the simple uh, fidget spinner. Mm. When, when you did that, I go, wow, that really, that, I, that makes sense to me. I mean, it just brought it all together. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, the one part about that that I liked is, is you can either let this thing sit here and try to analyze all the shapes, curves, and weights, or you can let it do its thing, which you spin it, and all of a sudden you're there, and then there's room inside. Yeah, that's good, Richard. Thanks. Thanks. Um, Larry, I've yes, been thinking about the, just a few minutes ago, you mentioned the word relational and just kind of thing. Um, just thinking about relationships are not words. It's, it's like a little tiny part. Not, I know there are, you know, studies about communication and how it happens and words is just one small percent of it. I mean, how many of us have told our children you rolling your eyes is communicating very clearly to me, even though you can claim I didn't do anything. I didn't say anything, you know. And yeah. so, so trusting that the Father is connecting on your slide. It's not there anymore, but something about the Father um, working to always reveal. And so oh, yeah. he, uh -huh. he's the one that's making the connections. He's the one that lets our paths cross these people. And, and we can totally enjoy and, and, and celebrate. Um, he's drawing them to me, the ones who need him through me. But what I say and the words that I say. So when I ramble with you guys, for instance, I just, I want to give you joy. I want to give you love and, and whatever happens with it, that's between you and God. Sure. I don't have to go. I don't have to leave thinking, oh man, I wish I could say it more clearly. I wish I could yeah. do step one, two, and three, like so-and-so does or whatever. And yeah. so it's the, the, the relationship is happening, even though I feel like I wander all over the place in my, uh, what do you call it? My my address is very clunky, <laughs> but um, we, we can trust that when, when we are with someone, he is loving through us, whatever we talk about, fidget spinners or quantum physics or playing in the dirt. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It, he is communicating his love. He is communicating through us. And, and we grow in that. Like, you know, when, when you've been married a long time, you learn things about each other you never knew before. It's like, I've been married to you for 30 years. I never knew that, right? And how much more with God to get to know him, you know, in, in those relationships. But each of us is like a facet or a reflection. We're, in different days, we sparkle different ways. And, you know, how many times have you sat through a, a teaching or a, a message and, what you took away, you know, in your own heart is not what the person was trying to communicate. Absolutely. <laughs> but God was, God was the, God was the relator. He was the one revealing himself through those words. And so, or through that experience or through that commercial or that radio song or that bumper sticker or whatever it might be. And so, um, we, we can just so rest, even as we share the gospel, that he 
is making these connections. And he, I think the more we embrace our own rest, the more his rest is communicated to someone else. Yeah. Like the more I embrace how goofy I feel about being, you know, it's like, it's okay. I don't have to analyze and fix and fight and all that. I, I get to just splash love on people. And if they receive it, great. And if they don't, they'll receive it from somebody because God's not giving up. Amen. Amen. That's good, Janet. Tim, did you have something? No, I was just scratching my head. This has been very good. I, I do like what you did with the editing. Uh, but like I said, too, I, I do think we, when we're sharing the gospel, we do have to simplify our message the best we can. Absolutely. And just let people receive, you know, believe in Jesus, believe in the love of God, and he loves you. Amen. Amen. I'm getting ready to close this down. I appreciate the discussion tonight, guys. And uh, there is a lot of beautiful stuff in this whole perichoretic idea. I, I truly don't expect you to start rocking around and keep track of how many times you use the word perichoresis in your conversation when you're witnessing to people. But uh, it's good to know. It's good to know the reality. Of this it has a real simple explanation of a hug. That's that circle thing. And Yeah, yeah, hug yeah. a little bit like that. Most of the simplest analogies kind of fall short. I ran into <laughs> some stuff by Carl Barth that did that, and I'll share that next time. But uh, anyway, well, Lord, I do appreciate everybody taking the time tonight. I appreciate you being with us and sharing with us. You are refining our language. You are uh, driving us back to the simplicity, not simplicity because there's a lack of content or a lack of reality, but simplicity because we can be patient because you are. And because we can speak in simple, direct, unqualified terms, because you really do, you really do love us from the beginning of the foundation of the world and love the people that we're trying to reach. That, that guy that was so angry at you and so trying to finalize and cut off any further thought, necessity to even think about you and you loving him. Well, you love him anyway. And that the simple statement that you believe in him does mean he has to go away. So give us these insights, Holy Spirit, and help us to realize in light of perichoresis that you're in us too. So we're not left on our own to try to figure out these simple uh, ways of communicating. You can speak through us, not only with tongues, but you can speak to us with simple language about the Father and the Son. And so I ask that you do that, Lord. And I look forward to the day that we begin to see the fruit in the conversations we have with people around us and in our family, where you are more easy for them to get to know. Mm. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen.